Gavin Sherry got his start in technology when he pulled a computer out of a dumpster and taught himself how to code. Now he is the CEO of Autonomic, which was acquired by Ford and is helping to connect the transportation industry to the digital world. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Gavin talks about the future of transportation and how his team is building ways for mobility and applications to become a larger part of the transportation industry. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. On the other line... Gavin, what's going on? Uh, lots going on. What's going on in the transportation industry? Glad to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you on the show. We've talked a little bit in the past, just a little bit, about transportation and some of the massive impacts that that's, this is going to have over the next few years and that it's already having. And you've been at the cutting edge of this for a long time. Can you share kind of what you're, what you're working on right now? Right now, uh, we are building and operating a cloud platform called the Transportation Mobility Cloud. That's an API uh, platform, an application programming interface platform that simplifies common problems within the transportation industry for the world's automakers and large transportation operators. And you didn't kind of always start in transportation. Can you share a little bit about how you got into technology? Yeah, I uh, got interested and excited by technology at a fairly young age, at least fairly young, considering I was a child of the 80s, and uh, actually hold a computer out of a dumpster one, one summer. <laughs> and uh, it had a, a, a programming manual with it. Uh, I thought that that's how you use computers, you, you program them. And uh, I sort of taught myself to code over a summer in a very primitive way. It attracted me because I could con- construct things in a logical and abstract sense. I was always you know, big into kind of building and stuff like that when I was a kid. Uh, and finally, I could kind of let my imagination run free. And uh, I sort of learned more and more programming languages, uh, became a, a software engineer even before I left high school and uh, was doing like odd job kind of programming exercises at the early stages of the internet, uh, at least you know, rise of the internet. I uh, went to college. Uh, wait, hold on. What, wait, odd, odd job? Like what odd job programming? Like the guy down the streets, like, <laughs> hey, I need well, you to build this program. I mean, like 94, 95, the internet was, was kind of the Wild West. The internet service provider I used posted an ad saying that they wanted someone to build some security software for authentication management. So I, I said, yes. Probably shouldn't admit it, but I, I, they asked for a kind of tax ID, like a company ID. This was in Australia. I'm Australian. And I put in a random number. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, about six months later, the, you know, the Australian equivalent of the IRS sort of wanted to know why I put in an invalid number. And the answer was because I was 14. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I was doing little, little things like that. And it was more, it wasn't for money. It was for the love of, of writing code. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's more or less that story. That's funny. Have you ever, that reminds me of Daniel X story from Spotify where he was running, like he was like teaching his friends to code, like same sort of thing. He was like 14 or 15. And it's like essentially was running like 
a child labor ring without <laughs> realizing it, right? Where he's like, yeah, doing all that stuff. But it's, that's fun. I mean, you know, my summer job was a uh, was a lifeguard, so that beats what I had. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I surfed a lot as well, being Australian, but decided to kind of focus my attention around writing code. And thankfully, the person I was writing the code for, who got in a little bit of trouble for you know, child labor laws and so on, uh, kind of redirected my attention to open source software. So I got kind of interested in uh, Linux and started kind of tinkering around with that and, and then poured my energy into database software like Postgres and, and so it was a pretty popular database system. And uh, then, you know, just started working on it, you know, ran a little consulting company, did a, did a terrible job at it because, you know, I was 20 and didn't understand like principles of cash flow. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, then worked at just a series of big and small tech companies over the last nearly two decades, which is what brings me to my current position as CEO of Autonomic. Yeah. And, you know, your most recent stint before Autonomic, your VP of engineering and data, it, was it and data or just VP of engineering data at Pivotal, um, working on some big projects? Yep. What kind yeah, of, we, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, we, that the company ran probably about four different database products in addition to some other uh, things like uh, a cloud automation framework. And uh, I've really been attracted to data my, my entire life. I, I had a paper run where I went and bought a copy of Microsoft Access with my hard-earned money. I, I don't know why data fascinates me so much. It's, uh, I don't know, there's something deep and, and intrinsic there. But, you know, just love databases and how they work. Love, love the processing of data is endlessly fascinating to me. So part of what we're working on here really is large-scale processing of data in ways that make it really easy for people to consume. So I, I guess that, that that's the common thread in my career. And then you did you kind of just get bit by the entrepreneurial bug there? Uh, was it a problem that you saw that was so massive that kind of nobody was solving? What was the impetus to, to found Autonomic? I've always found a lot of enjoyment in small companies because I, something of a generalist in, in my personality, I, I like working on a lot of different things. I, I guess I get bored easily, just like developing skills in, in new areas. Uh, you're able to do that in a small company. So uh, I've worked at a, you know, a host of, of startups uh, over the last two decades, always, always thinking about new startup ideas, and like a bit of an investor and so on in, in startups. But we started Autonomic because, first of all, Pivotal was in, was in pretty good shape. I held like a senior executive role there, certainly had the, the startup bug and was really attracted to the industry for the following reasons. First of all, I uh, sold my car and had just was like between cars basically and and found that I kept on delaying the point of buying a new car because I was using Uber so much. This totally. is maybe maybe five years ago. And was sort of using Uber like two to four times a day, found it as convenient or more convenient than than owning a car. I didn't have a child at the time. So uh, having a child does does mean that you need a car. But nevertheless, without a child. Uh, found Uber much more compelling than, than personal ownership of the, of the vehicle. Secondly, um, when I was looking at, at buying a new car, found that I really didn't care about what I call the traditional automotive aspects of it. I was more interested in the in-cabin technology uh, and so on. Had attended you know a whole host of meetups and talks in the Bay Area about autonomous 
vehicle technology, having processed a lot of data, I, I've been you know, overexposed, I would say, to machine learning technology and built machine learning technology and AI technology in, in my career and was confounded by how challenging a problem autonomy is. It, it can verge on the building of a general AI, which has been intractable uh, thus far in human history. So, you know, understood that this was like something very, very big would, because of the nature of, of transportation, affect every person in the world because we all consume technology and was finally a thing that wasn't just infrastructure, like a, a problem space that wasn't infrastructure related. Throughout my career, I've, you know, as I mentioned, been building databases and, and whatnot. And databases tend to be part of a tool chain for another business to probably sell a thing to a third business that eventually impacts an end consumer. And you know, having gotten into the midpoint of my career, I really felt a desire to you know, do something different, interact directly with customers, build technology that you know, my friends or family could you know, kind of directly consume. And that attracted us to the, the transportation industry. Uh, and so we decided to form Autonomic. We had been exposed to automakers at Pivotal, uh, a real host of, of automakers and their problems. We noted that they had to solve a, a very challenging problem that was adjacent to their current strengths. Obviously, automakers are amongst the world's largest manufacturers. They're incredibly good at manufacturing. They are less good at, at building software or AI systems. And so we wanted to help them. Yeah, that, that's a key aspect of, of building a successful company, wanting to help, working with people who, who want that help and uh, learning something yourself. So we launched Autonomic uh, nearly three years ago. You know, the rest, as they say, is history. And so who were you selling to initially? Who are your initial buyers? Uh, the world's automakers. So we had approached a few of them. We found the best connection, I'd, I'd say, with Ford Motor Company. Uh, we'd approach the automakers to just see if the idea was a good one. Would you use it? Would you consume it? Would you recommend others to use it? Do we look like the right people? This is quite a normal approach for yep. startups within the enterprise space to get just some feeling that, that you're on the right path. Ford got most excited about the vision. Uh, it, it fit well into their, their needs and uh, they decided to invest in the company along with being a customer and uh, they joined the board. And uh, about 16 or 17 months ago, they came by to acquire the company. And uh, we, we joined the, the family of companies within the Ford ecosystem. Yeah, so what, it's, what is it like running a startup within you know, such a big company and such a, a company that obviously is you know, one of the original innovators in technology and driving technology to begin with? One of the real points of attraction for, for Ford as an acquirer was how well they understood where they were, where they wanted to be, and what it would take to get there. That we intentionally structured the acquisition in such a way that the company remained independent. It kept identity. It kept its culture. I'm not a Ford employee, for example. I'm managed uh, or governed by a, a board of directors. So it's very much like a startup still. Oh, really? Wow. That's crazy. Yep, we, we have our own uh, offices and our own ways of working, our own equipment, uh, which is of a different standard than, than Ford because we're trying to attract a, a different kind of person, someone who's in Silicon Valley, really interested in solving some of the most challenging and innovative 
problems within technology. And so that small company feel is really important to people who, who look for that in life. So we've, and, we've been able to keep that, which is great. Yeah, the, the, you know, I think it's a really important point that the type of people that are going to follow the type of problem that you're working on, uh, having, you know, obviously we're here in the Bay Area as well. And we have listeners, you know, in over over 130 countries. And I think that, you know, it's important to recognize that when you are working on a startup within a broader ecosystem, people go to startups for different reasons, for different types of problems, for different company size and all of that. And if you want to maintain that, that same connective tissue, then you have to have that sort of thing and just kind of you know, plopping yourself under under the big umbrella isn't always necessarily the best way to, to retain talent. It's it's a really interesting time because on the one hand, you know, a, a lot of the the people want that startup experience, the high growth, the so-called rocket ship and and so on. On the other hand, to have the right to work on this class of problem, you have to be, if you look at the industry, generally associated with a very large company. And so the, the people at the forefront, for example, of autonomous vehicle technology are really, at, at least in North America, you know, Waymo, GM Cruise, and, and Ford through Argo, which is itself a, a startup company that Ford helped incubate. So I, I think Ford has taken good lessons from companies like Cisco and Apple and uh, IAC, who owns like Match Group, like Tinder and, and so on, uh, about how to bring in innovation through these kind of startup channels. It's a really strong belief of mine that most innovation takes place in a startup environment, which is more constrained, more focused. Uh, and big companies are very good at operationalizing things at, at a really incredible scale, like worldwide and, and so on. And so bringing those two things together is a really interesting problem for today's large and small companies. Yeah, one of the reasons we're excited to have you on the show, I mean, it's just the breadth of problems and challenges that autonomous driving creates. Like it truly is something that I think, you know, we will look back on 20 years from now and be blown away at how things, you know, used to be done as it should be uh, as we're creating. I think it might be, I think it might be the hardest technology problem we've tried to solve today as, as humans. Yeah, I mean, we so we interviewed a bunch of folks for Future Cities podcast from Lyft, from from Lime, you know, City of Detroit, City of Oakland, folks like that, and just talking about this idea um, and a bunch of other folks like we work and all this stuff, but about this idea of like autonomous truly will shape cities, like how you know, imagine every single city street doesn't have parked cars on it, for example, like all of the parking infrastructure, all of the, you know, real estate fundamentally changes, uh, how people move, you know, fundamentally changes, which, you know, creates lots of opportunities for more parks and more, you know, public spaces and things like that. When you're in the weeds creating the technology, does it ever kind of feel like you're in on something where you're like, wow, we're, we know we're building towards this crazy future, but you kind of have to keep that focus day to day because in the interim, it's just really hard to keep your head down and drive. Totally. That's all of, of delivery is what I would say. That's what software delivery always looks like. I used to work for uh, a gentleman by the name of Paul Moritz. He was the CEO of 
for VMware and built a lot of Microsoft uh, back in the day. And we were trying to solve some hard problems together. And his advice to me was the most important thing is to put one foot in front of the other and ensure that you're heading in the right direction. And when you're building things, it's always like that. It's hard to judge the process, uh, the progress on a daily basis. But the important thing is like momentum, like continuing to move, continuing to build, ensuring you're in going in the right direction. But not every day do you have the breakthrough. <laughs> I want to get into the Transportation Mobility Cloud, what it does and all of that. But really quick question before that. Your logo is... It's an AU with a box around it for autonomic, but it also suspiciously looks like Australia. Uh, is is that on purpose? No, it's not. Um, is it really not? I'll tell you the whole story. So, look, I, I love startups, and uh, I was in uh, Mexico, believe it or not, cave diving, and my co-founders had you know obtained a meeting, like pretty senior meeting at, at Ford. And had messaged me saying, hey, like, we're going to build the pitch deck. And this is about, about three years ago now. And actually, Ford probably doesn't know this either. But um, so we're all like jamming on, on the pitch deck. I was remote. I was like literally sitting in a jungle, like, you know, with like 100% humidity, 100 degrees. I'm not like a very visual person, but it's like all hands on deck to, to do these kind of things in very, very early stage companies. So I was like scouring the internet for an appropriate logo that I could drop in without like any kind of copyright issue. And I found a copy of the periodic table. It was public domain. So I just chopped out the, the AU for gold section and just stuck it on the deck. And you know, at a later point, we hired like an actual creative firm and so on. And they adapted it to uh, the logo that you see today. But the original one was, was literally just lifted from a copy of a creative commons copy of the periodic table. I love that. That's so great. We we look at it about that so as a media company. We think about that stuff all the time because you can use like Library Congress images for the same sort of stuff. So you can, you know, there's a license for, for all that free stuff. I love it. It's probably how Breaking Bad uh, got their logo too. It's probably the same sort of thing where they're like, hey, we can do this for free. Um, okay, let's get into your core product Transportation Mobility Cloud. Can you share like what what this does, who the types of folk that you're working with, um, and why is this so important? What we saw in the lead up to the creation of the company as we were all using transportation and, and getting frustrated with it was there wasn't a good connection between the physical world of mobility and the digital lives that we all lead. Why doesn't everything just work like Uber? was essentially what we we're asking ourselves with respect to mobility. And our belief was that there was a missing piece of infrastructure built for the to be built for the mobility uh, industry. That would be a, a software platform since it was about integrating into the digital world. Uh, it would probably be operated by the company that built it because that's a hallmark of, of great modern, particularly enterprise-oriented software. It would be API-based because that's a, another great example of a good business model, a way that helps people be successful with your uh, technology. It's easy to consume. The world's developers are kind of calibrated for this, given that they're used to you know, building against APIs from uh, Facebook, from Google, from GitHub, and so on. And so we, we settled on these founding principles. While 
autonomous vehicle technology, electric vehicle technology present uh, an infinite number of possible futures, we tried to hone in on what things would remain the same in the industry. What, what will we need in today's world? What will we need in a world where electric, vehicle is, electric vehicles are pervasive? What will we need in a world where autonomous vehicles are pervasive? And we decided to start building that kind of technology. So at its heart, we believe that connectivity between the vehicle and the cloud is of paramount importance. How, how could you possibly build a car that drives itself if it can't even talk to the outside world? Yeah. It's, it's a simple way of, of putting that. And so we have uh, connectivity services that we think represent the most forward-looking ways of, of understanding the problem rather than the more traditional technologies that have been repurposed from, from other industries, such as IoT-style plays. We very fundamentally believe that if you are going to make cars drive themselves or improve after the point of sale, that you would need to be able to land new software reliably on cars. And so we built a, an over-the-air update system. It, it's a, there's plenty of over-the-air update technology within the industry, but we built it with a new paradigm, which was imagine we were operating large-scale data centers with kind of flaky servers that, that were semi-connected. How would we build this technology? The reason we modeled it in that way is that more and more compute is going to have to be put into cars. They're going yep. to look like small data centers so that they can run the kind of AI workloads that, that we all anticipate that they'll need. And electric vehicles are kind of uh, a computer with wheels. They're, they're as close as we've seen to a computer with wheels in a production sense. And so it made sense for us to, to model it in that way. So with those two principles of connectivity and updatability, we really focused in on our strategy around the transportation mobility cloud. Since then, we've exposed APIs that allow people to rapidly do a bunch of common tasks, remotely interact and actuate things within vehicles, open the doors, honk the horn, pop the trunk and so on. These are like basic, like crawling style solutions in the crawl, walk, run style uh, metaphor. We've done more advanced things, which is we've built like an Uber in a box style technology. Our belief is that there'll be really compelling sub-segments of ride hailing that different companies will want to focus on. It might be delivery of, of supplies within a particular industry. It might be uh, addressing particular demographics of, of people, maybe you know, taking children to school, maybe taking white-collar workers to, to the office, maybe taking folks to manufacturing jobs and so on. And each of them will require a different style of technology, but they can be built atop uh, a single platform. And so we decided to model that within uh, the TMC and obviously launch it and, and so on. I think it's so fascinating that with autonomous, I, that we kind of treat how we rode in cars to like how autonomous will be. And I love the way that you're thinking about it, about utilities, right? Which is like, you know, there's a reason why we put everybody, you know, all kids into a school bus, for example, is so that, you know, we could drop, you know, everybody off. But it's also, it's because of safety. It's because you have an adult that's driving, you know, a bunch of children around and you can't have, you can't have something that's not monitored and safe. And I think that there's so many different applications like that for autonomous where it's by utility of the person in the vehicle. And like you said, I think the way that 
people can build on top of the platform is so valuable because we don't know what other utilities people are, are working on until it happens. So the flexibility to be able to build off of that is critical. You're, you're right. You've touched upon a point that's important to us and, and how we think about the world, which is really sitting down and understanding what is normal today, uh, such as in the school bus example. Why does that work? What is insufficient? What are we putting up with because there is not a better technological answer. For example, in the school bus scenario, it would be more powerful still if we could ver formally verify the following, that the driver or supervisor on the bus has been background checked uh, and is authorized to, to be with children, that the person on the receiving end of the school or you know, at some other activity is the right person to open the door and escort the children off the bus or transportation. I think that there are things that are, many things that are, are right and have been iterated upon over time around the, the concentration, uh, the number of people that need to be on the bus and so on, the fact that there needs to be supervision. There are things that we can automate and improve with technology as we begin to explore AV by adding in new kinds of technology, new kinds of authentication from other parts of the technology industry. Yeah. And, and I think back to the utility piece that, you know, I think the way that things were done back in the day with the, you know, with the school bus example is like you're taking kids from all over a geographical area to one school or whatever it is, because that's kind of the, the way it was supposed to be. But especially in metropolitan areas where it would make more sense to group kids from where they physically live geographically to whichever schools are in proximity. And if you don't have like accurate mapping information or GPS information to feed into that, that's then it's just kind of like people, you know, driving around in cars on a route. But now you can you can map all of those things. And then when someone, you know, is sick or, or you know, isn't going to go to school on a certain day, you know, you're not driving, waiting outside of their, uh, their house. It can automatically update the route and do all the things that we're used to seeing from, you know, Uber-like services or Lyft or whatever it is. An important aspect of this is to take a building block or modular approach. Yep. And we've been lucky that the company is relatively young. We've benefited from, you know, understanding the most current patterns that have been successful at, at companies like Facebook and, and Netflix and Uber and so on, and applied them to what is a, a pretty, you know, technologically challenged industry, right? At least digital technology in, in, in this example. We've, really allowed people to build creatively in the way that addresses their problems. And so it's interesting when you speak about utility, uh, a, a related concept in utility is like a tool chain, the ability to harness different parts of, of a platform in new creative ways. And so we've tried to build quite low-level self-contained services that can be integrated together by developers to solve these very complex problems around ride hailing or around auditing of, of where, say, a child has been and ensure that uh, they were picked up on time, dropped off on time, that there was custodianship of, of the person or the good at any one particular time. It's very normal for us to think about that when we're building infrastructure in more forward-looking companies where the whole company is, is digital in nature. 
it's been really exciting to expose this to an industry that is very mature, is is heavily regulated, and is is not populated exclusively with software engineers, as, as we associate in Silicon Valley. Do you ever think that the way, you know, the infrastructure and the governance of this type of platform is one of the most kind of critical things that people could get wrong? Because it seems like, you know, obviously with the security challenges and things like that, but just the way that these things are governed from an infrastructure standpoint, it just seems like there's a massive opportunity, you know, for outside threats or different things to come in that's like catastrophic? We have thought about that. I I certainly spent a lot of time thinking about it. We have sort of more security and compliance folks as a ratio to engineers than any company I've I've worked with. And I've worked in scenarios where we're sold to like defense and and in the intelligence community. And the reason is that uh, first of all, and rightfully so, People are very sensitive to how information about their location could be used. And and that's rightfully so. And I think we will see much more focus on this in the media, in society, in politics, and so on. And the reason I believe that is we look at the level of concern and focus around uh, data within Facebook I think that information about, like, say, where anyone was at 2.30 on Thursday afternoon is, is more sensitive still. People would understandably not want, you know, surveillance of, of their movement in that way. So we, we take people's rights and, and their ability to consent or revoke access to that information very seriously. Additionally, given that our technology can be used to actuate things in the physical world, we need to protect and limit that access to those who are authorized to do so. And so we try and adopt uh, the most advanced software and hardware techniques to ensure that bad actors, state actors, and so on are not able to use our technology for nefarious means. Anything before that you want to bring up before? I mean, I'll just kind of keep rolling. It sounds awesome so far. What I'll touch upon is is one of the key aspects of uh, TMC. We've been really frustrated by the fact that there aren't really like killer car applications. Like if you look at on your phone, how many of the applications have anything to do with mobility? There's obviously an Uber app or a Lyft app. There's maybe like a Lime, Bird, Spin app, but nothing compared to your other sort of entertainment options like Instagram and and all the various uh, applications of that sort, games and, and whatnot. And we want to know why not. And one belief we have is that it's so hard to build applications for the transportation industry that there's something missing and and we're trying to fill that gap. We're trying to make it really simple for mobile developers, modern developers to build new creative things for car owners, for mobility users. But we're really at the very beginning of that change. The applications we see for mobility use cases remind us of the kind of early applications we saw for the iPhone or for for Android. The question in in my mind is, what will be the Instagram for the transportation industry? The thing that everyone needs to install and and use all the time. It can't just be Waze, right? It it has to be something more compelling beyond that because 
Waze is essentially about the old way of, of using transportation. You're in your car, you're trying to get there as quickly as possible. So that all starts with like a simple open interface that anyone can use. And that's what we're trying to build. Well, you know, what's interesting about that. So I, I talked to Diane Eisner, who was, uh, I believe the employee like six at Waze. She's just an awesome person. We were talking about how Waze started from essentially just like a blank map and then their users filled out the entire map, right? So like, it was like a, you know, like a, like a painting, blank canvas, right? But what I think that's really interesting and which is, you know, super fascinating because of all the different like user generated stuff that came up. But what I think that, you know, you really miss from that type of application is the layering on of, you know, disparate services that are happening all around you of different ways that you could get to somewhere faster. And I think that that's kind of what you're talking about is this idea that like, you know, you you start to see it a little bit with like, you know, Apple Maps or things like that, where it says, you know, you could do walking or you could do transit or you could do car or, you know, I don't know if there's like a fourth one, I think, but it's, that's four options and it's not very, not very robust, right? Like uh, to your point, you know, if there was something that you could just click into the app and it's going to give you potentially thousands of options in one place, but it was, you know, extremely easy to select the place, the the way that you wanted to go. And it was going to feed you the fastest routes to get there. Every single person would use that. We all want to get where we're going faster, but we don't know the options that are available. R- routing is very hard because of the sheer degree of optionality. You you just can't, the human mind can't process the number of routes between you know, two different places that aren't you know, immediately conjoined. And so a, a lot of routing technology is about actually limiting the number of options to something that a human can understand, like yep. no more than three. I'm sure you know, all of your listeners can, can sympathize with that. I think the opportunities within routing are when you move into like private space or uh, one-time spaces. For example, routing for events. When you're now on private roads, you're attending a concert, like think about the confusion you had when you arrive at at an event and you're trying to work out where to park, what's the best place for me. I plan on leaving at this one particular time. I have children. I don't have children. I have, you know, maybe someone with a disability. That, That is a segment that we all experience, which is actually not really well catered for. And so I think the general problem of like getting from home to work has been somewhat addressed by, by you know, Google Maps, Apple Maps, other, other mapping options. But these things that actually cause us most inconvenience now are not well understood or addressed. And they're transient in nature, which makes them particularly challenging. And I think the level of complexity, as you mentioned, you know, when you have a family, when you have three kids versus four, when you, you know, need to drop off a bunch of stuff at the location uh, and then go look for parking or, or whatever it is, those things are added in complexity when you have a crying toddler or, uh, you know. Uh, trust, or, trust me, I, I understand that one. <laughs> yeah. Or when grandpa does is like, I'm not walking more than 10 feet because um, he's, you know, had a long day. So, uh, yeah, I think that the levels of complexity and there's nothing that's like at all empathetic to the commuter uh, or to the to the person getting around, right? It's just like, hey, this is more or less the the best way to go. And here there might. It's interesting that you say empathetic 
uh, I felt the same way. We, we talked about cities earlier. And, and the funny thing about cities is that modern American cities are designed for drivers. We call ourselves a car culture, but we're actually a driver culture, a single driver culture, one person in the car. Yeah. And cities are, are often, not always, but often organized with that, that driver in mind. I think that what we'll see over the next two to three decades is a change in city layout to be more oriented to commuters, people trying to get between different places, different options in in terms of their modality of transportation, and hopefully big transportation systems like cars and so on that dramatically alter the layout of cities can be somewhat like dismissed, like just pushed out of the city when they're not required. That would be great. Yeah. I mean, just think about the idea of like, like you said with events, now drop-off areas are massively important, right? So if you, so you need to redesign the entire event space because now you need 50,000 people to be dropped off at one point in time rather than 50,000 cars to be parked there. You know, we talked to, um, I, I think it was the uh, head of policy at, at Lyft. It's like 67% of cars that are on the road are single driver and they've done a bunch of studies and basically like sitting by yourself in a car for more than an hour a day is like directly linked to like depression and all sorts of stuff. Like we, it's intuitive. It's like sitting by yourself in a car for hours every day. Of course, it's going to make you lonelier and make you feel worse and it's not great on your body and you're not moving around and doing all these sort of things. But at the same time, like you said, if the entire culture is kind of built on, I need to get this car that is mine to the other place where it is. I mean, you know, when you drive to San Francisco and you have a car, you're like, I got to put this somewhere because I need to go. Like I live in Oakland. I go to San Francisco. All the you know listeners who are not from here are like, what are you talking about? But it's it's a really important larger theme that it's like if you're going from Oakland to San Francisco and then up to Palo Alto and then over to San Jose and then back to Oakland. That sounds like the worst day ever. Yeah, right. But that's I mean, I've had I've had those days many, many times over over the past few years. That for, for your for your listeners, that probably takes about four hours, irrespective of what mode of transportation you might take. Yeah, despite the entire thing being under a hundred miles, probably. Yeah. Well um, and truly under a hundred miles, yeah. Yeah. So uh, those type of things, like there's no amount, there's no mobility solution for that exact drive. And we live in the technological, you know, capital of the world. And look how hugely limiting it is on our culture, right? I mean, I I don't, you know, spend too much time on say weekends and and so on outside of this part of the Bay Area around Palo Alto and so on. I live here. But that means like I, I don't really get access to a, a big modern city like San Francisco. I have friends in in Oakland and Berkeley, which is where your studio is, uh, or sorry, where you live, I think you said. And uh, that's hugely limiting as well, right? Like, you know, Berkeley and Oakland have more culture. San Francisco has more of a big, big city kind of feel. It's hugely limiting in, in our lifestyle to not be able to access those places easily. And they're, I mean, I can see them right, from, from where I live. So. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very very frustrating and sort of hard to justify. Yeah, it. I mean, it becomes something that I think is extremely hard to justify when you look out and you say 
traffic is going to continually get worse forever unless we do something about it. And I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't cross any bridges anymore. Like, what? That's not a healthy way of looking at life, especially at like exploring the areas around you. We need to do things that get people out of their house and exploring, not not to be shut in. So on that note, I want to get into some lightning round questions, fast and easy questions. Anything else we missed before we get into lightning round? Let's get into the lightning round. Let's do it. Fast and easy questions, just like the fast and easy lightning platform from Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn how to build apps fast and easy on the lightning platform. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready, Gavin? Yep. All right. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Uh, probably Instagram. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, probably Mexico City. Favorite book or podcast you've read or listened to recently? Principles by Ray Dalio. Favorite thing to cook or eat? Had a nice steak last night. <laughs> Do you have a favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? You know, my whole house is covered in, in different personal systems. I have a young child and I, I use it for everything because I no longer have as many arms as I used to have. <laughs> I love that. Uh, there's more questions than ever before, but less answers. <laughs> what are you most excited about for autonomous? I mean, the, the big idea, which is that we'll be liberated from the journey of have to, having to drive ourselves everywhere all the time. It's just like more time, more convenience. What is your best advice for a first time CEO? Find people you respect who you can talk to about how hard the job is. That's a good one. What question did I not ask you today that you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? That I wish I was asked more often. I guess I'd, I'd say, why is this important? Why is this important? Because we have to actually rebuild a lot of transportation. The most convenient way of building some key aspects of it is in software. It is a mammoth effort because every person in the world interacts with transportation in some way or other. It's one of the most confronting technological changes I've seen. And we're at the very, very beginning of it. Final question here. I guess this isn't really lightning-y. So this is a non-lightning question. But um, last thing. Any thoughts on 5G and how this, uh, how 5G capabilities will affect autonomous? I think it's hugely enabling for autonomous. A lot of the prior generation work on autonomous was about the lack of, well, had to do with the lack of large scale bandwidth between the car and the outside world. And that should be eclipsed over the next decade with 5G. That being said, it's, it's something of an enabling technology that will lift all, all boats in the same way that broadband lifted all boats for internet companies and internet users over traditional you know, modems over kind of copper lines. So it, it, it'll be a great technological driver for the industry. 
but I'm not sure if there's any one kind of killer use case of it for it with respect to autonomous. Awesome. Anything we missed? Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Definitely talk about our two recent partnership announcements. In yeah. pursuit of every, everything that we've been doing, we've announced um, a partnership with Fujitsu in Asia, obviously a powerhouse uh, with respect to Japanese companies. And, and Japan is really at the forefront of mobility in, in some parts of the world. And uh, also with Amazon Web Services. All of your listeners would be very familiar, I, I would have thought, with Amazon Web Services. We're really trying to build uh, a platform like Amazon Web Services for the transportation industry. And so it made total sense to join forces uh, in that regard and, and equip developers in the way that I've been touching upon in this interview. Yeah, that's really exciting. Any uh, any killer apps that have been uh, made so far? Not yet. I Just in, in all honesty, I'd say that the killer apps will combine the kind of convenience that we associate with you know, systems like Alexa with newer technology around electric and, and AV. I think killer apps, the, the term is overused. I think, it, <laughs> I think that the true test of a killer app is one where you realize your parents are using it and you didn't have to tell them about it. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. Gavin, thanks so much for hanging out today. Really appreciate you coming on the show. And, uh, and yeah, next time in Palo Alto, we're right down the street. So, Speaking again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.